This is VOA News. I'm Marissa Milton. The A's are 68. The nays are 29. Under the previous order requiring 60 votes for the adoption of the motion to concur in the House Amendment to the Senate Amendment, number four with the amendment is agreed to. That's Senate Appropriations Committee Chairman Patrick Leahy announcing the passage of a funding bill that will avert a partial government shutdown. The U.S. Senate spat passed the $1.66 trillion government spending bill Thursday and sent it to the House of Representatives to approve. The legislation provides funding through September 30th, 2023 for the U.S. military and an array of non-military programs. The legislation provides Ukraine with $44.9 billion in wartime aid and bans the use of Chinese-owned social media app TikTok on federal government devices. The head of the United Nations nuclear watchdog met in Moscow on Thursday with officials from Russia's military and state atomic energy agency. VOA's Diane Roberts has more. International Atomic Energy Agency Director General Rafael Grossi is trying to get a protection zone set up around a Russian-occupied nuclear power plant in Ukraine. Grossi and the head of Russia's Rosatom were seen holding talks in Moscow in footage aired by Russian television. Rosatom described Thursday's talks as substantive, useful, and frank. The conversations surround measures needed to safeguard Ukraine's Zaporizhia nuclear power plant and the surrounding region. Grossi said the zone needs to focus solely on preventing a nuclear accident. Diane Roberts, VOA News. You can keep up with that story and all the stories we're covering at our website, voanews.com. We also have an app that you can download. From Washington, this is VOA News. Senior U.N. officials have called for the international community to contribute a specialized armed force for Haiti to help restore order to the Caribbean nation, where they say insecurity has reached unprecedented levels. In a presentation to the U.N. Security Council this week, U.N. Deputy Secretary General Amina J. Mohammed said, while there were high hopes a year ago for political reforms, stability and development by the end of 2022, Instead, Haiti's in a deepening crisis of unprecedented scale and complexity that has caused for serious alarm. The White House says a private Russian military company is getting help from another rogue state to boost the fight in Ukraine. AP Washington correspondent Sagar Megani. Mercenaries from the Wagner Group have been fighting in Ukraine alongside Russian troops. And National Security Council spokesman John Kirby says as Moscow's military falters. President Putin has increasingly been turning to Wagner. Which is now turning to North Korea. Last month... North Korea delivered infantry rockets and missiles into Russia for use by Wagner. Kirby says the U.S. does not assess the materiel from North Korea will change the war's dynamics, but is concerned more weapons are coming. The Biden administration notes the North is banned from importing or exporting weapons per sanctions imposed by the U.N. Security Council, of which Russia is a member. Sagar Magani, Washington. The U.S. House of Representatives has approved a bill requiring audits of any president's income tax filings. AP correspondent Norman Hall. The legislation would turn what had been a long-standing post-Watergate practice into established federal policy. The action comes after disclosures that the IRS never fully reviewed Donald Trump's tax returns during his presidency. The Democratic-led measure was approved mostly along party lines. 
It follows a years-long investigation of Trump's tenure as the first president in recent history not to disclose his tax returns to the public. The measure faced staunch opposition from Republicans and has little chance of becoming law in the final days of this Congress. Norman Hall, Washington. U.S. President Joe Biden has wished the American people a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays in an address on Thursday. Biden said the message of Christmas is always important, and he hopes this time of year will unite the country. So this Christmas, let's spread a little kindness. This Christmas, let's be that that helping hand, that strong shoulder, that friendly voice, when no one else seems to care for those who are struggling in trouble and need. It just might be the best gift you can ever give. And I'm Marissa Melton, VOA News. Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Barton, Washington. Today is Friday, December 23rd. And here are some of the stories we are covering. Sierra Leone's president says gender empowerment is the cornerstone to development for his government. You cannot say you're serious about development and you lock up more than 50% of your energy in the kitchen or somewhere else and then expect to make progress. Somali military takes Al-Shabaab's last stronghold in the region of Middle Shabela. Nigeria's central bank raises cash withdrawal limits after public outcry. A Juba Catholic Archbishop urges South Sudanese to compromise for peace and stability. It is not the implementation again of this comprehensive peace agreement only, but it is really a true radical uh, change within our political leaders. In Uganda's Ebola success forces redesign of vaccine trial. Those stories plus Samson O'Malley's post are coming up on Daybreak Africa. Sierra Leone's President Julius Madabio said he had a constructive meeting with U.S. President Joe Biden at the White House last week. The meeting between the two leaders occurred on the sidelines of the just-concluded U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit held in Washington, D.C. In this exclusive interview with U.S. Peter Clotty, President Bio also says he will sign the Gender Equality and Women's Empowerment Bill. I had the opportunity again to meet with MCC and to consolidate our relationship with the MCC that is going to spend at least uh, nothing less than $350 million as grants to Ceredion. There are a few hiccups with the, with the compact, but of course we amicably went through those and uh, we are now on the same page. We have met several other groups that are interested in Ceredion. Of course, they are very mindful of the fact that we go to elections in about six months and a lot of companies are always a little jittery or careful, mindful, you know, of the fact that uh, elections can be quite disruptive. But I've told them that we are going to keep the peace. Uh, It's uh, the stability. And uh, because we are paying more attention to development rather than politics, we don't want any slowdown in activities once they concern development. Mr. President, will Sierra Leone be ready or is Sierra Leone ready? for business, especially investors, those that you spoke with, are there mechanisms or measures implemented to ensure that when they come in, their business interests and their investments will be protected? You're talking about the 
business environment, right. the climate. Right. We have worked on that and we continue to pay keen attention to the business environment. My business is to make sure that I attract some of the most patient investors who will go there to invest for the mutual benefit of our country and also their own uh, corporate um, entities. We have a few companies already from the U.S. and other parts of the world operating in Sierra Leone, which means uh, that uh, we have a climate that permits the establishment and functioning. So we, of course, we've had challenges or conflicts, and we are able to resolve them. So which means uh, we are ready. They are going in, they are operating, and where we've had challenges, we'll find a way out. That is uh, part of conflicts are part of human relationship, and um, our business is to make sure that we incorporate into our governance structure mechanisms that can always deal with them as and when they arise. Mr. President, a lot of civil society groups and even the First Lady have been expressing concern about gender-based violence. The First Lady has championed the cause of Hands of Our Girls campaign. I understand there's a bill that is waiting for you to accent to it, to sign the Gender Equality and Women's Empowerment Bill. What entails in this bill? Because when you sign it, it becomes law. What do you want this to achieve? Uh, what is contained in the bill, it's our goodies for women. It actually lays the foundation for the liberation of our women to close the gender gap. Uh, that is the best way to put it. Of course, it took us a long time as a male society uh, dominantly to accept that. It's been in uh, parliament for eight months, but uh, we got it out and in the form and manner in which we want it. It basically gives uh, 30% of uh, representation in Parliament to women and uh, in all spheres of governance, even in corporate governance. So it is now incumbent upon us to really see how we can implement that to make sure that um, we start to close the gender gap. Closing the gender gap is what this bill is really about, and that is what we have started before today women, we are not considered equal partners in development. And what we are saying is that you cannot say you are serious about development and you lock up more than 50% of your energy in the kitchen or somewhere else and then expect to make progress. For me, like I said, we are a development-oriented government and therefore all the energy needed is what we want to unleash and the women power the component of the women have been missing. That was Sierra Leone's President Julius Madabio. He spoke with VOS Peter Clotty on the sidelines of the just-concluded U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit in Washington, D.C. Somalia's military says it has liberated the last town held by al-Shabaab militants in the middle Shebela region, killing more than 150 fighters, including five foreigners. Mohamed Daesene reports from Mogadishu. Speaking to journalists in Mogadishu Thursday, Somalia's Defense Ministry spokesman Abdullahi Ali Anod said the army, backed by local Kalan militia, liberated the strategic town of Runirgod. The town was the last stronghold of the Al-Qaeda-affiliated Al-Shabaab Islamist militants in Somalia's Middle Shabela region. Anod said the army entered villages around the town early Thursday morning and engaged militants in fierce firefights. Mante Wahandon and Ankadono, Guli Hudambeye, I Garen, 
He says, today, we won't talk about the latest victories of the Somali National Army and units of the armed local revolutionary forces, Arnold says, around 6 a.m. The forces led by the National Army took control of Runigod in the middle Shabela region. The spokesman said five foreign fighters were among militants killed in the fighting, but gave no details on country of origin. He did not provide any casualty figures on the Somali military side. Al-Shabaab's social media did not immediately publish a response to the military's announcement, but the militant's telegram channel said they had carried out a bomb attack on security personnel in the same region killing four troops. Somalia's military did not respond to the alleged bombing or casualties. Krunirgod is 240 kilometers north of Somalia's capital, Mogadishu. It is the second major town that the army says it has liberated from the Islamist militant group in less than a month. Somalia's national army, backed by local militias, have gone on the offensive against the group since President Hassan Sheikh Mahmoud declared an all-out war against the group after his May election. The insurgents have also carried out daily attacks in the Horn of African Nations capital. The group in late November attacked the Villa Reis Hotel in Mogadishu, killing eight people and losing five of their own. The Villa Reis Hotel was frequented by Somali government and security officials and located near the presidential palace. The militant group also stormed the Hayat Hotel in central Mogadishu in August. Security forces ended the siege after nearly 30 hours of fighting that left 21 people dead and more than 100 wounded. Mohamed Daisane for VOA News, Mogadishu, Somalia. A South Sudanese religious leader is urging the country's political leaders to reach a compromise in order to achieve peace and stability in the country. The Catholic Archbishop of the Juba Diocese says leaders need to have a change of heart, which will translate into the implementation of the peace deal. For VOA News, Waka Simon Wudu reports from Juba, South Sudan. Juba Archbishop of the Catholic Diocese, Stephen Ameo said, once South Sudanese and their leaders have changed their hearts, they can focus on improving the socio-economic and political situation in the country without obstacles in their way. Change does not only happen one time. It has to be always there, slowly and concretely. And in that way, we can change. It is not the implementation again of this comprehensive peace agreement only, but it is really a true radical change within our political leaders. Political leaders have to really compromise. The Archbishop called the on South Sudanese to remain hopeful for the future. It is always taking time to calm down. And so let us be hopeful. Let us be hopeful for a better future and a better South Sudan, uh, full of forgiveness and caring for one another. 
South Sudan descended into political turmoil in 2013 after a dispute between President Salva Kiir and his then-deputy Riyak Machar. Despite several agreements signed by the parties to end the conflict, the political situation has not changed much. The outgoing representative of the UN Refugee Agency in South Sudan said on Tuesday that there are still 3.2 million South Sudanese refugees in the neighboring countries of Uganda, Sudan, the Democratic Republic of Congo, and Ethiopia. All of them have fled because of the fighting. Archbishop Ameyu says as the nation joins the world in celebrating Christmas, South Sudanese and their leaders should reflect on their lives and embrace love and reconciliation. We have to change our hearts. If we change our hearts, then God will bring to us hope, not despair. And it is on this line that we see this message of a change of conversion embedded by what we call change and hope. And this hope will help us to live even in difficult moments. We have a lot of displacement. We have a lot of disasters. And these disasters should not leave us in despair. Let us always hope that God is with us and God will continue to sustain us. Implementation of the South Sudan revitalized peace deal has lacked behind schedule. Although in recent months the parties have made progress in implementing security arrangements, several provisions of the deal, including drafting a permanent national constitution, deployment of the unified forces, and justice and accountability, still remain unimplemented. Ameu also announced the Pope Francis will visit South Sudan in February next year. The Pope will be accompanied by Anglican Archbishop Justin Welby of Canterbury and Moderator General Ian Greensills of Scotland. For VNOs, I'm Simon Wudu in Juba. You are listening to Daybreak Africa on The Voice of America. I am James Botting. Washington today is Friday, December 23rd. And still to come on our program, Samson O'Malley Sports. The French news agency AFP says fresh clashes have erupted in Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo between M23 rebels and a militia representing the Honde ethnic group, the Patriotic Alliance for a Free and Independent Congo. The alliance, which includes the pro-Hutu Nyantura group, says it's dedicated to thwarting the Tusi-led M23, which has captured territory in North Kivu. Members of the group told AFP that fighting is ongoing in the Ruhanga and Kihonga areas of the province's Rushuru region. The DRC says neighboring Rwanda is backing the M23, a charge denied by Kigali. The Central Bank of Nigeria has raised the maximum weekly limit for cash withdrawals after a public uproar over the caps it announced two weeks ago. The new limit is five times higher than the initial cap for individuals and ten times more for companies. The bank announced the limits to rein in excess cash and promote cashless payments, but critics say it could stifle millions of small businesses. Timothy Obiezu reports from Abuja. 
the revised central bank withdrawal limits were announced in a circular released by the bank Wednesday. The limit for individual withdrawals was raised from $225 to $1,125, while the limit for corporate entities was raised from $1,100 to $11,000. Under the directive, any withdrawal above the set limits must be approved in advance in writing by the financial institution from where the withdrawal is to be made. The CBN also lowered its processing fee for withdrawals above set limits. But many people here, like Salisu Umar Garu, a former chairman of the Abuja Zone 4 Traders Association, say even the new limits will be difficult for businesses yet to be fully integrated into the online banking system. Minimum amount, you cannot buy anything for anybody. Maybe if the government or CBN governor can see, maybe we'll try to carry our people, some of them, maybe to give you an advice. Maybe you come and ask advice of, if I do this, what is the problem for your own side so that you help the country and the economy. The new cash withdrawal limits take effect January 9th. The central bank unveiled newly designed 200, 500 and 1,000 Naira bills in late November in a bid to combat counterfeiting, hoarding, corruption and other crimes. Authorities also said the action will promote more online-based transactions. Citizens also have until the end of January to exchange old bills for the new tender. Isaac Boti, a finance analyst at the Center for Social Action, says the policy, if properly implemented, will help stabilize Nigeria's economy and prevent vote buying during the February elections. Issues around corruption, issues around insecurity, issues around election manipulations and vote buyings will all be addressed. It is important that we recognize that uh, when policies are developed, put the economy on the right direction. It could be painstaking, but it needs consistency. The CBN says it's working with money agents in rural areas to help pull in old notes before the expiry date. But citizens say the change over time for the newly unveiled banknotes is too short and that unless authorities extend the deadline, up to 40% of Nigerian citizens without access to banks could lose their savings. Timothy Obezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. Uganda yesterday and Thursday received two more potential vaccines for a trial against the Sudan strain of the deadly Ebola virus. Uganda has recorded 142 confirmed cases and 55 deaths since the September outbreak, but has had no cases since late November. While having no active cases is welcomed, it also means the trial will have to be redesigned to test the vaccine's effectiveness. Halima Atumani reports from Entebbe, Uganda. The World Health Organization handed Ugandan officials more than 4,000 doses of Ebola trial vaccines on Thursday, 2,000 of the Indian Serum Institute's Oxford vaccine, and just over 2,000 from U.S. manufacturer Mark. It brings the total number of Ebola vaccine doses available in Uganda to more than 5,000 after an initial 1,000 from the U.S.'s Sabine Institute were received last week. The vaccines were sent for use in a trial against an outbreak of the Sudan strain of the virus that since September killed 55 people. But Uganda has not recorded any new Ebola infections since November 27.
While that success in halting the outbreak has been welcomed, Uganda's Health Minister General Thacheng said it also means they'll have to change plans to test the vaccines on people who had contact with those infected. There are no more cases and no more contacts. So the scientists are evaluating alternative research designs to assess the usefulness of this vaccine in protecting people against Ebola infection. The principal investigator of the Ebola vaccine trial, Dr. Bruce Chirenga, says they are engaging communities but will have to wait for a global expert meeting on January 12th to finalize and approve the trial redesign. The trial that we have is designed to answer three questions, abbreviated as um, ISE, immunogenicity, safety and efficacy. These vaccines, can they induce immunity in people if they are administered? Are they safe? Can that immunity prevent disease? Yonast again, Waldemariam is the WHO country representative for Uganda. He says Uganda's success in stemming the outbreak means it has gained the capacity, knowledge and skills to carry out an Ebola Sudan strain vaccine trial. Waldemariam says the trial is still worth doing even if Uganda doesn't register another Ebola infection. Uganda would contribute from this trial another tool for us to manage Ebola Sudan if it ever happens in a major uh, population. Since Uganda announced the Ebola outbreak 100 days ago, 55 people in nine districts have died from the deadly hemorrhagic virus. Uganda recorded 142 confirmed cases and 87 discharges. Despite having no new cases since November, Uganda will have to wait until January 10th to declare the country Ebola-free. There is currently no effective vaccine available for the Sudan strain of Ebola. The WHO says Uganda's last Ebola outbreak in 2019 was the more common Zaire strain. Uganda last reported the relatively rare Sudan strain outbreak in 2012. Halima Othmani for VA News, Entebbe, Uganda. It is time now for Daybreak Africa Sports, and here is Samson O'Malley in Abuja, Nigeria. A very good Friday morning to you, Samson. Good Friday morning to you too. James, we begin the sports with the latest FIFA ranking. Morocco has moved from the 22nd position to become the 11th best football team in the world, according to the latest ranking released by world governing body FIFA on Thursday. The ranking shows Morocco moving 11 places up to 11th in the world, ahead of countries like Switzerland, the United States, Germany, Mexico and Uruguay. With a 108.85 score, Morocco is also the best team in Africa. The ranking recognizes Morocco's uplifting and brilliant performances during the 2022 World Cup when they made history after qualifying for the semi-finals. The qualification made Morocco the first African and Arab country to make it so far in the World Cup history. In the meantime, the Confederation of African Football President Petrice Musepe believes a team from the continent can reach the 2026 World Cup final. The Qatar Soccer World Cup was a watershed moment for the Confederation of African Football after Morocco became the first African nation to progress to the semi-finals in the history of the competition, further emphasizing the possibility of an African country lifting the Confederate Trophy one day. But for that to happen, 
CAF President Dr. Musepe believes more remains to be done to keep African players on the continent instead of having them emigrate to Europe. I feel proud to see players from the continent playing all over the world and doing well. Of course, we'd much rather have them play for our national teams and, and that's one of the main reasons for the African Super League. We want to keep the brightest, most talented, most gifted African players in Africa. Former Chelsea of England manager Avam Grant has been appointed as the new boss of the Zambian national football team, the Chipolopolo. Since leaving English soccer in 2011, Avam Grant has managed Partizan Belgrade, Ghana, an Indian Super League outfit, Northeast United. Working as Zambia manager will be Grant's third stint in international soccer. Grant's first game with Zambia will be a home match against Lesotho in March in the group stage of the AFCON qualifying. After signing a two-year contract, Grant said at a press conference in Lusaka on Thursday that coaching Zambia was the right challenge he was looking for. I think uh, Zambia has the potential. We set the targets, what we want to achieve. And uh, I want to thank for the President Andrew and the committee that they chose me and gave me the opportunity to share my experience and try to take the, not try, to take the Zambian football forward, which I think Zambia deserves it. In athletics, former Olympic Games 5000 meters gold medalist Vivian Chiriot is optimistic she will perform well next year upon her return from maternity leave. And that's it for this Friday's edition of Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, James, in Washington. And Merry Christmas. Thank you, Samson. Have a nice weekend. And that's it for this Friday, December 23rd edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending your week with us. For more Africa news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa crew, I am James Barton in Washington, wishing that you will have a great weekend, and we'll see you again. On